Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. If you're visiting with us today, we've been in a sermon series on kingdom living, looking at Jesus' sermon on the mount. We finally made it through one chapter. <laughs> so looking forward to this transition here that Jesus takes us deeper and deeper in what it means to be his disciple, what it means to live in his kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, be our passage of study this morning. This is God's holy, inerrant, authoritative word to us this morning. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Let's pray. Father, we need the, the help, the, the aid of the Holy Spirit this morning to understand these words of Jesus and how they apply to our lives. And so, Lord, that is what we ask now, that you would take the truth of your word and you would apply it to our hearts and our lives, that we would be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever thought of why the Secret Service is called by that name? Well, I actually didn't do much thinking about it until this past week because they're not exactly secret, right? We know what the Secret Service does. They, they guard the president. But I did find out something very interesting this week that I didn't know about the Secret Service, that Originally, when it was formed, it had nothing to do with guarding the president. Uh, the Secret Service was actually founded in order to track down and stop the counterfeiting money schemes that were going on uh, after the Civil War. And so that was their job, was to stop counterfeiting. But in 1901, uh, I don't think anybody in here would recall that date, President William McKinley was assassinated. And so after this, the Congress of the United States chartered the Secret Service to provide protection for the president and his family. But think about that a minute. Think about the Secret Service. You, you may know many Secret Service agents, maybe even in this town, but they'll never tell you really what they do unless you talk to them. I went to church one time with a Secret Service agent, so I started asking him some questions, and I wish I wouldn't have asked him questions. <laughs> they're oftentimes very anonymous. Uh, they're oftentimes in the background. The Secret Service doesn't hold press conference say, yeah, guess what, guys? Today we tackled a man on the lawn of the White House. They don't announce their business. They quietly go around uh, doing their business, protecting the president and their other duties. And they're ready to jump into action whenever they're called into duty. Secret Service agents take great pride in protecting their country. 
And I think there's actually a model to follow here when it comes to being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, when it comes to specifically, as this passage says, serving the needy. It's to be secret. It's to be somewhat unnoticeable. And when we do this, there is great joy that comes from glorifying our Heavenly Father. So we come now to a a new section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is transitioning here in his sermon. He has more teaching to give to his disciples. And we continue to see that Jesus is calling his disciples to be different, to be different from the world. And in the last section in chapter 5 that we've studied, Jesus showed us how we are to love the law and how we're to have a, a righteousness that reflects pursuing the perfections of God the Father. But now in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, specifically verses 1 through 18, Jesus is not so much dealing with the acts of righteousness that his disciples perform. He is dealing with the motives behind our acts of righteousness. Jesus is directing his disciples' attention to their motives in kingdom living. Why we do something for the glory of our Heavenly Father is just as important as what we do. Why we do something, what our motive is to glorify our Heavenly Father is just as important as what we do. Because as we all know, Christianity is not just an outward expression only. The secret things of the heart are just as important, especially to our Heavenly Father. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus lays out for us a principle. And this principle is a a warning against hypocrisy. And this principle is illustrated in three different significant areas of the Christian life. So if you look down there through chapter 6, the first 18 verses, we'll see that Jesus is going to address potential hypocrisy in the Christian life by talking about giving to the needy, how we pray, look at the Lord's Prayer, and also in fasting. And so over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at these different components, these different areas of the Christian life. And this morning, we will be primarily, primarily focusing on verses 1 through 4 and giving to the needy. So in these verses, in our passage of study this morning, Jesus means to teach us, means to teach his disciples The biblical principle that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That is the summary of of what is going on here in this passage. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so let's examine this teaching here of Jesus in three different areas. We're going to look at the the principle of hypocrisy in verse 1. And then in verse 2. Two, we're going to look at the practice of hypocrisy. And in verses 3 and 4, we're going to look at the practice of righteousness, what kingdom living looks like in this area. So first, the principle of hypocrisy. Look there in verse 1, Jesus states, beware. What he is saying here is, pay attention. Listen to what I'm saying. He just got through calling his disciples to pursue the perfections of God the Father back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And now he has an admonition. 
has a warning for his disciples. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. It is assumed that Jesus' disciples would practice righteousness, that they would give to the poor, that they would pray, that they would fast. God's people for all of human history have been called to do these things, and specifically in this passage, God's people have always been called and even commanded to care for the needy, to take care of the poor. And here, Jesus' warning is not in doing these things. His warning is doing them to be praised by man rather than God the Father. So these words here of Jesus, they're not to be seen in contradiction to what he said back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, you may recall. He says, to let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 is addressing a, a, a different issue, a, a different area of, of sin, if you will. The principle of hypocrisy found in this verse is rather than letting your light shine before men so that God the Father may get the glory, you let your light shine before men so that you will get the glory. And that is the ultimate hypocrisy. It's glory robbing. It's doing religious deeds. It's acting religious in order to get glory for yourself rather than glory for the Heavenly Father. So the different issue that he's addressing here, it's our, it's our lack of courage and our lack of conviction that makes us fail to outwardly bring glory to our Father who is in heaven. But here, the, the issue is our vanity, our sinful pride that causes us to boast about our religious piety. And that is sinful pride. D.A. Carson says this, he says, righteous conduct under kingdom norms must be visible so that God may be glorified, yet it must never be visible in order to win human acclaim. We do acts of righteousness. We have righteous conduct to bring glory to our Heavenly Father not to win human acclaim. Jesus is teaching that these spiritual exercises, giving to the poor, prayer and fasting, they're expected in the Christian life. We are called to do them. It is what followers of Christ do. But he was also teaching how and why we are to do them. If we're going to do them just for ourselves... If our righteous acts are merely so that we can have others pat us on the back and tell us what a great job we're doing, then Jesus says, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The the reward will stop right there with the pat on the back, and that's it. The New Testament often speaks about spiritual rewards. We'll see Jesus use that word often in this passage. What are these rewards? The Bible teaches us that there are rewards, there are gifts, there are spiritual blessings that are given to 
God's people because he is our heavenly father and he wishes to bless his children. And even though we don't always know exactly what these rewards are, we want them. We crave them because they are from our heavenly father. And those who seek to bring glory to God the Father will receive rewards from him. Those who seek to bring glory to themselves will receive no heavenly rewards. So the principle of hypocrisy is this. is doing religious things and practicing religious exercises, but doing them only for yourself, not for the glory of God. And when we do this, we are failing to bring glory to God the Father and instead robbing him of his glory so that we can have it for ourselves. And so Jesus has this warning for us. And then he goes on to give an example of what this looks like, the practice of hypocrisy in verse 2. Jesus says, thus, or therefore, here you go, here's an example. When you give to the deity, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The first example Jesus gives here of religious hypocrisy is in giving to the needy and giving to, serving the poor and doing so with lots of prompt, pomp and circumstances so that everybody will say, how holy and righteous are you? Jesus has some very strong words here again. And obviously, therefore, the Pharisees. Jesus reserved his harshest words for the Pharisees, for the, for the religious leaders who thought they were extra super holy religious people because they would, with all the pomp and circumstance, give to the poor. And here Jesus is calling out their flamboyant practice of giving to the poor. This is a very extreme example of hypocrisy here. I mean, can you imagine the Pharisee hiring a a trumpeter and, hey, go out before me and blow the trumpets as loud as you can. I I have a penny that I want to give to the poor, and, and everybody needs to see this. Now, whether this actually happened, whether this was actually the practice or not, Jesus is here using it as an example to rebuke the sinful desire to want to be praised by man rather than God. He is rebuking us. He is rebuking the high and mighty who are seeking the praise of men rather than God. And so John said this, he said, a ravenous hunger for the praise of men was the besetting sin of the Pharisees. A ravenous hunger for the praise of men was the besetting sin of the Pharisees. And I think that we may find that we also struggle with that. I do a Bible study with my children, and each week we look at this uh, thing called the Word of the Week. And just last week, our Word of the Week was hypocrite. So here we see this word used, and will be used often in this passage, hypocrite or hypocrisy or hypocrites. This Greek word actually comes from the world of theater. The the hypocrite was actually an actor. And his acting, his role was basically to be in contrast with the good, with 
with the chorus that were proclaiming what would be the good. And so we all know what a hypocrite is, right? They say one thing, but do another. This was the problem with the Pharisees. Their religion was more of theatrics rather than genuine heart religion. They loved to march through the streets and the synagogues, which were the houses of worship, to be praised by others. Look at what I am doing, everybody. And so that is what a hypocrite does. A hypocrite seeks the praise of man rather than God their father. And when Jesus says, truly, they have received their reward, what he means is that's it. The blessings, the benefits, the rewards that they would receive will stop right there. They'll be praised by man and no one else. There are no heavenly benefits and there are no rewards from their heavenly father. The reward is only praise from man. And God the Father will not honor their hypocritical, flamboyant theatrics of giving to the poor and to the needy. So we're all riled up now, and we're frustrated with those Pharisees, those rascals. How can they be so stupid and silly? And then we step back, and we must ask ourselves, do we have the Father's heart to help the poor help the needy? Do we have the Father's heart to help the poor and help the needy, or are we helping the poor and serving the needy to help ourselves? Do we have this hypocritical nature within us? I hope no one is hiring a trumpeter to go out and sound before them when they go to help the poor, but what would the modern-day equivalent be of this scenario? Let's call a press conference. I gave a million dollars today to the poor of the city of Huntsville, and I just wanted you to know that. I haven't seen that yet. Or perhaps a blog. Let's blog about how great we are and what we did to serve the poor so everybody will say what a perfect Christian life we live. Or I know, we'll put it on social media. Look, my children were fighting there, but here, this picture, they are serving. It's hypocritical. So Jesus is not asking us to stop serving the poor and the needy. That's not what he's saying. Then how do we do it? How how do we serve? How How do we help the poor and the needy? in a way in which we are bringing glory to our Heavenly Father and not to ourselves. What is the manner in which a disciple is to give and to serve the poor and the needy? Thank heavens, Jesus tells us in verses 3 and 4. He shows us what the practice of righteousness would look like. This is how a disciple is to give and, and, and to not practice hypocrisy. He says in these verses... But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Our giving is to be in secret. It's to be secret service. 
It is to be behind the scenes, in a sense almost unnoticeable. Not only are we not to announce our giving to others, but there's a sense in which we're, we're not even to tell ourselves. Not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It, it, it's so natural, giving and serving the poor and the needy, that it's, it's part of your nature. You don't sit around and think about how you're going to do it and how wonderful you are because you did it. You, you just do it. Because that is what God calls us to do. Give, giving. Serving, helping the poor, the needy. It is commanded by the law of God throughout the Bible. Secret service is to be part of what it means to be a disciple. So may God never let us forget to serve the poor. May we follow through with that beatitude that he taught us at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall be shown mercy. Although we're to, to strive to keep our giving secret, secret from ourselves and secret from others, we cannot keep a secret from God the Father. Because our Heavenly Father, who is in secret, He sees all things. Our giving says a lot about our theology. In other words, how we approach giving, how we serve the poor and the needy, speaks to our view of who God is and how he judges mankind. Many of you may have learned when you were a child or you're teaching your children now the the children's catechism. One of those questions, number 11, says, can you see God? And you have to answer it like a little child. (laughs) No. I cannot see God, but he always sees me. What great theology to teach our children. He always sees us. He knows all things. That's the key. Disciples of Christ must understand that God is, he's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He is all-seeing and all-knowing. He sees and knows all things. Therefore, our giving, our service, Serving him, we do so because he sees us, and he gets the glory. But the cool thing is we get the rewards when we do so, when we serve, when we give to the needy to glorify God is in heaven. How how are we to think about biblical rewards? I mean, it sounds strange, doesn't it? You would never say, I'm serving the poor so I can get heavenly rewards. Because it it almost sounds like salvation by rewards or something like that. Why does Jesus say this? Well, again, I suspect that when we hear these words, we think of many things. When we we hear what rewards are, you know, giving a dog a treat for doing a good job, we reward the dog. Or we we give give our children prizes for making good grades. That's a reward. Or... Maybe you've been a part of an athletic banquet and rewards were given out for all kinds of various honors. Perhaps an academic reward. But is that what Jesus has in mind here? Our practice of righteousness, in this case of giving, is not so that we can get a a trophy. It's not so that we can 
be acclaimed by man. It is the reward of doing the works that please the Father. The reward is in the discovery of what the Apostle Paul stated in Acts. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Listen to this verse, Acts 20, verse 35. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The blessing, the reward, is in giving to the glory of God the Father, because he in turn blesses us. He rewards us. He showers us with his heavenly love and his blessings. And we know this principle to be true, this principle of it is more blessed to give than to receive, because this principle is at the very heart of the gospel. See if these words sound familiar to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How about this? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how we not also along with him graciously give us all things? Maybe one more. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The ultimate reward from God the Father is his Son. He gave us his Son. And because of that, We do all things. We give to the needy. We pray. We fast. And we do so for the glory of our Heavenly Father. And so may God bless us. May he grant us the strength, the power to understand this principle. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Because he gave everything for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you are, you are constantly bringing us back to the gospel, to the good news. Because at first we read these verses and we think, oh, here is how a good Christian person acts. You have so much more to teach us. You want to take us deeper and deeper into your heart the heart of what it means to give. And so, Father, help us to bring glory to you. Father, forgive us, for we have robbed you of your glory. Lord, help us to give and to serve the needy and the poor, and to do so in secret, because you see us in secret. Give us your spirit and help us to have the spirit of giving, giving the help, spirit of of serving and of helping, because that is what a child of God does. 
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.